it's worth that cost. It's worth that price. You know, don't don't be afraid to obey the call. Please don't bury your talent in the ground. Um, there is a cost. No one's going to tell you otherwise. But I can look back and and see where that willingness to answer that call has taken me. And there is no comparison. There is no comparison to a life that is spent doing the will of God to any other life. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. This new music that you're listening to is from Isaac Valiente. He's a young man in South Australia that produces his own music and he continues to produce music for this show and I'm grateful for it. Today we are joined by a good friend of mine that has had a great influence on my wife and I over the years. Simon Butcher is the pastor of Northside Pentecostal Church in Perth, Western Australia and is also a member of the UPCA National Board, serving as a regional presbyter. He is a wonderful preacher and teacher of the word that has ministered all across Australia and the world for the past nearly three decades. I always enjoy the insight he brings to the things of God, and I know you will get a lot out of this conversation. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. Glad to be with you. Oh, so what time is it over there in West Australia right now? Just past 10 o'clock in the morning. Nice. And we're over here in the afternoon in uh, lockdown country. I would say God's country, but I'm not sure if it's still God's country these days. That would be that would be Queensland anyway, not New South Wales. <laughs> but, uh... spoken, <laughs> spoken like a true Queenslander. Absolutely. Well, with that lead in, why don't you uh, start us off by giving us a bit of background about yourself and uh, where you grew up and, uh, yeah, some of your backstory. Sure. I was born and raised in Townsville in North Queensland, uh, 1971, so very close to my 50th birthday later this year. Um, my my parents, um, my dad was originally from Queensland. My mother was from New South Wales. They met while my dad was in the army in New South Wales in the late 1960s and uh, got married, moved to Townsville. And so when I was born, Townsville had a population, I think of around about 70,000 people, which oh, wow. today makes it probably a small town. <laughs> but even back then, I think it was the second biggest uh, center in Queensland outside of Brisbane. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I, I guess that was, that was, Looking back, I guess it was almost small town life, but it was the only life I knew. So didn't really think of it as small. See, that was where I grew up in the tropics. And um, yeah, that's where it all began. So you're, uh, so Townsville, for those who may not be aware, that's North Queensland. So that's up north towards the top of uh, the country of Australia. Yeah, around about, I think around about 1400 kilometers north of Brisbane, thereabouts. And people tend to, not really understand how big Australia is. Even sometimes Australians don't understand, especially Sydney right. and don't really understand how big Australia is. Give us a bit of an idea. Um, how long of a drive is it, say, from Brisbane, which is close to the the southernmost part of Queensland, through to Townsville? How long would that take you? Uh, non-stop, around about 14, 15 hours, I think. Yeah. Wow. 
And then how much further up to Cairns? Another three and a half hours. Yeah. And those are the those are the other two biggest cities in Queensland besides Brisbane and Gold Coast. Is that right? Yes. When when I was growing up, Gold Coast wasn't really a city in its own right, but it has really grown in in recent years to become that way now. Yeah. So what was it like uh, growing up in a city like that? You said you know about seventy thousand people probably a bit isolated, um, especially back then, it'd be more isolated than it would be today, as far as a large city goes. Yeah, I, I think, looking back, you probably would say it was isolated. But at the same time, as a kid, if that was all you knew, you didn't think about isolation, you know, we're talking long before the internet. So you weren't really as aware of what was going on. So it was it's a uh, Townsville has the uh, largest, I believe, army barracks in Australia, and so very much a, an army town. Uh, a lot of army housing, so a lot of families. Whereas Cairns is much more tourism based. Mm. So yeah, it was a small town, very hot, very humid, um, not the most pleasant climate. If you don't like that sort of thing, <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess in in hindsight, it it is a small place, but as a kid that was our normal. So we didn't really think of comparing it. I did go to Sydney as a child for holidays to visit family and, and do remember Sydney feeling massive, mm. but uh, I mean, they had exciting things like McDonald's, which we didn't get till <laughs> I, we didn't get that till I was 16 in Townsville. So. Oh man. You went to the big smoke. Yes, that's right. You used to go to the big smoke for McDonald's. It was, it was a highlight of a family trip. <laughs> so what were some of your interests growing up while, uh, you're in Townsville. Um, I think I, I love sport. Um, played everything we could. Uh, my first love was real football or soccer, as some people know it. Um, but any sport, we played. We played everything. We played cricket. We played tennis. We played basketball. We played squash. We played touch football. We we played everything. We played hockey. We yeah, anything we could play, we played. That was really the the my friends and my that was our environment growing up. Yeah. Hmm. And so, uh, you, did you grow up in church or did like, did your mom have you in church from day dot or? That's an interesting story. Um, when my parents were married, my father's family were Anglican church of England. I think in the States they call them Episcopalian. Yeah, that's right. Um, not, not practicing, but that's what their family was. Uh, my mother, when my parents were married, was attending a Mormon church. Mm. And when they got married and moved to Townsville, because my mother moved away from her family, moved away from her social network, she gravitated more strongly to the church for fellowship and just human interaction. And so she became fairly committed to the Mormon church in Townsville. And uh, my mum, my mum's personality is the kind that she's, uh, if she's involved in something, she's fairly heavily involved. And yeah. so I have some vague memories in the first seven years of my life of going to the Mormon church and particularly attending Mormon Sunday school. When I was about seven, so 1979, my mum was invited to a little Pentecostal church on the main road 
in Townsville and uh, she went along there and it wasn't a large congregation. But for her, like many others with their first taste of Pentecost, she thought they were all crazy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, was, it wasn't it was quiet and reserved. It was loud. It was exuberant. The worship was uh, exciting. Uh, I think they had one instrument. I think the pastor was up the front with an electric guitar. Oh, wow. And... And um, her first reaction was that they were insane and she was just glad to get out alive. <laughs> but something put a hook in her heart and she found herself going back and um, has been in the, the United Pentecostal Church ever since. And so when I was seven, didn't realize it at the time, but it was obviously a very significant change for me to go from being in a Mormon church to being in an apostolic church. Right. And your mom, she is Scottish, Scottish background? Yes, my mother's family is Scottish. They migrated to Australia when my mum was five. She's one of seven, but she was five when they came. That's amazing. Yeah. So she came when she was five and she still has the uh, thick Scottish accent. Yeah, she does. Uh, the It seems that the, the older kids have a stronger accent than, than my mother does, but when they get together, it it always seems to get a fresh infusion and uh, <laughs> and find itself again. I can always tell when she's talking to uh, one of my aunts, who is a very close friend of hers, uh, her accent changes gears. It goes <laughs> up a notch. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with her once about her accent. She's like, oh, I'm losing it. I said, you're, you're not losing it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I understand where you how you would certainly feel that way. But when you talk to somebody who still lives there, you can see the difference. Yeah, yeah big definitely, time. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah. w- was your mom invited? Who, who was your mom invited by to the church? My mom was invited by a friend of hers that actually used to go to the Mormon church. And I think I think that was possibly one of the only reasons my mom would consider visiting a different church. My because of the relocation from New South Wales, uh, my mum was, uh, I would say, struggling. She wasn't very happy in North Queensland, was very unhappy within herself. It wasn't so much that the marriage was bad. It was just mum wasn't happy in herself. And it's, it's hard to have a happy relationship when you're miserable within your own self. And uh, God's timing is always perfect. And my mum was actually preparing to take myself and my younger sister and leave my dad and move back to New South Wales to her family Hmm. when she was invited to the Pentecostal church. And I guess almost out of desperation, she thought I'll go along and see what it's about. And, um, and the Lord got into our family and uh, my dad is not yet walking with the Lord, trusting that that will change in the near future. But because of that, my parents are still together some, 50 plus years later so utterly very grateful for that yeah yeah huge yeah yeah i mean especially for your future you go from you know being in the mormon church and then possibly growing up in a single household to your parents staying together and growing up in an apostolic church like 180 degree different yeah absolutely i looking at the time obviously i didn't realize the significance but looking back i certainly realized that our family could have been just another divorce statistic hmm. um and i uh, would have just been another kid growing up in a in a broken home but i'm um, look back and recognize the you know the grace and mercy of god reaching into our family and and 
a radical change in the future of our lives. Mm. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up in the church. You would have been in the youth group there in Townsville. Right. At what point did you, because I remember you telling me this, you were licensed at quite a young age in comparison to the way it normally happens in the UPCA. Maybe not so much in comparison to the UPCI over in America, but here you were licensed at quite a young age. So I'm interested to hear uh, the backstory as to when you felt the call to ministry beyond, you know, just serving at your local church, but the call to preach. Yeah. Um, my my mother raised us to serve in the church. So as even as kids, we would help her clean the church. There were working bees. We were always there. I remember mowing the church lawn as a, as a kid. My mom was very much active. She lived what she believed. She was teaching Bible studies, teaching Sunday school, picking people up, helping people out. She was even our youth leader for a season. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't <laughs> yeah, know having, that. Having, having, having your mother for your youth leader is an interesting experience, <laughs> uh, particularly as a teenager. And so uh, you talk about growing up in the youth there throughout my Sunday school years and my youth years. Our church was small, but we had a very close-knit group of young people because back then, what a lot of people might not realize is that the nearest UPCA church to us was in Brisbane which was 1,400 kilometers away. And there was a lot fewer events taking place on the national calendar. General conference happened every year. Um, At that stage, national youth camp was happening every three years, even if we could even think about affording to travel to it. Mm. And so fellowship beyond our local church was almost non-existent. So we were very close, very close group of young people. And um, I remember that one Sunday morning, I wouldn't call it Damascus Road because it wasn't quite that sensational. But one Sunday morning, my pastor was preaching about serving God and, and doing something for the kingdom of God. And as a part of his message and coming toward the end, he, he felt as though the Lord was speaking to some people in the congregation about specifically answering a call to ministry, not general service, as you mentioned, but to the preaching of the word of God. And um, I felt uh, the tugging of the Lord on my heart in that service. I think I was 17 years old, just felt the the Lord tugging on my heart. And I responded to that altar call appeal, went to the front and um, prayed those prayers that we all pray sometimes without thinking about it. Lord, I'll do whatever you want. And exactly. um, and as they say, you know, the rest is history. That was the beginning of what's been an incredible journey in ministry. And um, I was licensed for the first time, or my local license for the first time sounds like I lost it. Then I got it back <laughs> again. But um, for the first time, I just turned 21. I was licensed in January of 93. And the, uh, the Lord tends to keep you accountable to those prayers, I find. Yes, he does. And we all, we all pray these, these huge, bold prayers and write checks that sometimes we can't cash. So. Oh, yeah, especially in uh, youth camp altars. That happens quite mm-hmm. frequently. Yes, yes, it certainly does. So you briefly mentioned your pastor, and I didn't want to get through this podcast without talking about him. 
he had an impact on my ministry as well. The few times I was able to uh, be with him up in Townsville and uh, be with be around him at national events, Brother Dennis Jacobson, who has had a mm-hmm. profound impact on the kingdom of God and the work in Australia and uh, globally as well in the region. What was it like being trained under his ministry, being trained under someone like him who was constantly going, constantly doing, constantly reaching? Yes, that that's actually a really good description of, of Brother Jacobson, constantly going and constantly doing. He, he was one of those people that only had two speeds. It was flat out or stop. There, there wasn't much in between that. And even... Even in his later years, as he resigned from pastoring and uh, he was still trying to start churches, still trying to find contacts in cities and towns throughout North Queensland. And uh, obviously he's not the only one, but he's the reason that today there's there's a couple of churches in Cairns. There's a church in Mackay. You know, there's, there's a, I think the Townsville Church has an outreach or daughter work in Bowen at the moment. Some of these places people from across the country haven't even heard of, but a lot of those were his burden to to see the kingdom grow. And to sit under his ministry as a young person, again, with the, the privilege of hindsight, was an incredible experience. He he was a, a wonderful man of God. He was, he was sold out for the kingdom of God. Everything else was secondary and important in his life. And he was a very strong person. And his his leadership style was strong. Um, I often explain that to people by by saying that you know before he was saved, he was actually a sergeant in the air force, and so I think some of that possibly carried across. Um, but I, I never, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but I never had a problem with that strength of leadership with his style. I, again, referring to my mother, I, I was taught from a very young age to honor and respect the man of God in your life. And, uh, and so that to me, I, I, maybe it's my personality, but I, I thrived under his kind of leadership. I think the fact that he was strong, that he challenged us, that he expected, even demanded a certain level of commitment and, uh, application. I think I was blessed by that. I think if I had had somebody who was really passive and just sort of let me find my way, I'd probably still be finding my way. Um, I, I, I thrived under that. And as when I was in that church, I had incredible respect and appreciation for him. But as I've left that city and that church and ministered in several different contexts, looking back, my appreciation for him has only grown um, because of the investment that he put in us. And, um, some people don't realize, but he he became a a trainer of ministers out of a need for people to help him in his own congregation. It wasn't that he just, it was something he felt an ability to do. He, he recognized that he needed help in his own church in Townsville. And so he'd already previously passed in Alice Springs. He'd had a, a short period of time in a place called Redhead in Newcastle where they tried to start a church. And he'd gone out from the church he was saved in, which was in Canberra. And I think, I think, ironically enough, the year I was born, 1971, I think mm. he was saved. 
he'd gone out from there to try to serve with very little, if any, leadership ministry training. He was still what we would consider very green. And he would often tell us that because of that, there was a lot of things that he, he made mistakes along the way. And so him starting to train us was born out of a combination of needing assistance, but also wanting others to learn from the mistakes that he'd made. I think that need developed in him what really was the finer focus of his gifting and calling that he was a, a, a molder and a shaper of ministers because that was that really seemed to be after that started a process that kept going um it wasn't just the first couple that he started with but it continued and and he invested in in men and women and and then invested them in the, in the kingdom so uh, I'm probably a little bit biased, but when, when I read the scriptures, I, I think he and the Apostle Paul, in personality particularly, were probably quite similar. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul always seemed to have an urgency. He was going mm -hmm. somewhere, doing something, and but at the same time, pouring into other people. And yeah, I, I don't think Brother Jacobson would like to be compared to the Apostle Paul, but, but in personality and, and application, I can certainly see similarities between the two of them. Yeah. yeah, we tend to hesitate to title people. And I was going to mention, you know, when introducing this topic, you know, call him a modern apostle. I believe he was um, mm. just in the way that he operated, the impact that he had on ministers. And you can see that in the fruit. You can see that in the fruit of um, the ministers that he developed who continue to have a tremendous impact on the kingdom of God. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, I almost think of him of an old style prophet, but he, I guess Apostle fits as well. He certainly had that element of being a prophet to him where he would speak whatever God had given him, regardless of reaction, regardless of environment. If he if he felt he'd heard from God, he was he was delivering. And um, I always respected that. It wasn't always easy for him to do that. But if he felt strongly about something from God, he would he'd just tell it how it was <laughs> yeah i remember the first time i preached up there in townsville on the aym trip and having to uh, preach with brother jacobson sitting behind me that was uh <laughs> the knees were knocking i'll tell you that yeah he, he was only a little man but uh he cast a big shadow and did, uh, yeah. when you when you preached in front of him, you wanted to make sure that you knew what you were saying. Exactly. Yeah. You want to make sure yeah. that everything was, all the T's were crossed, the I's were dotted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was a, a wonderful man, incredible impact. And yeah, and I miss him, miss him very much, miss his voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we all do, yeah. Yes. Following along from that, um, you were talking about just before we, started talking about Brother Jacobson. We were talking about your initial call to the ministry. And I was wondering if you could give some advice to a young person out there uh, who feels the call, who feels to take that next step uh, in the ministry. Do you have some advice for them, how to go about that or what they should be doing right now uh, as they're trying to develop? Yeah, um... I've, I've listened to some of your other guests. You had Sister Gina and, and Pastor Harvey on there recently who are both uh, incredible ministers of the gospel. And so some of what I will say will be very similar to what they would say. Um, 
looking to serve in any way that you can, no matter how significant or insignificant, no matter who sees or who doesn't, finding a way to uh, inject yourself into the kingdom somehow. Bishop Slack was always famous for handing aspiring ministers a mop and a bucket and sending them to clean the toilets. Uh, that was kind of kind of his thing. But I think I think Pastor Harvey referenced that scripture about, you know, whatever your hand finds to do. You know, yeah. um, I encourage people that whatever you can do right now, whatever you've been asked to do right now, you need to take that as, as your calling. If it's picking somebody up, that's your calling right now. You do that to honor God. You do that to the best of your ability. And so I think, I think that you probably hear that from most people that you've got to find something you can do right now, no matter how small it is. You know, we have, I have a, this is an example. I have a, a wonderful lady in our church here who's just made it her ministry to make sure that there's a couple of glasses of cold water in the pulpit before every service, you know, and the world's not going to end if she doesn't do that, but she just, she wants to do something. She wants to help. And so she's decided that she's going to do that every single service. You know, and it's that kind of attitude that reveals ministries. Um, so yeah, doing, doing whatever your hand finds to do with everything you've got. There's probably a couple of other things that I'd mention. One is that while you are doing um, whatever it is you're doing, place a really strong emphasis and an effort on on the being who you are. Um, one of the things that I have observed that can really hinder or hold back a ministry at the front end, but then also destroy it at the other end, is a lack of character mm. and integrity. I think that we need to put a lot of effort into the developing of our character. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't be 15 with 55-year-old wisdom, but you can work on your character. You can consider the things the scripture says about character. And, um, you know, it may be a little bit cliche, but when, you know, when we look at great buildings, we, we have to stop and remember they, they dug down an awful lot before they ever went up. And uh, foundation is directly connected to elevation. If, if they... If you put a lot of effort into your integrity and your character development, then your ministry will be able to become greater, but it will also go the distance. And I think that's that's massive. I think I think something else that uh, you've probably heard me say this before in conversation, but we we must understand the difference between serving, sacrifice, and obeying a call. Uh, you mentioned this already, but every, every child of God is called to serve, right. to sacrifice. And the, the things we always say, we talk about our time, our talent, and our treasure. We're all called to serve and sacrifice. But when we're involved in that kind of uh, service, we are still controlling that. Hmm. Uh, it fits into our life. It fits into where we can see it. You know, it's, we're available here. We can do this. We, we're willing to contribute A, B, and C. But... Uh, a call to ministry is a yes or no invitation. It's it's not a negotiation. It's not a well. I you know I can give you two hours on a Tuesday afternoon. If you're called to ministry, it's a choice to either obey or walk away. And a call will cause you to step out in faith onto what seems like thin air. Uh, to go to a town or a city that doesn't have an apostolic church, to go and commit yourself to an elder who is becoming weary and looking to transition, to to go somewhere that's never heard the gospel and take the, the chance of 
what will I do for a job? Where will we live? How will we, all those questions that don't have answers, a call will cause us to do those things. And um, to me, to go back to the Old Testament, it's the difference between obedience and sacrifice. Hmm. And I think, I think that's crucial for the church today, that we recognize the difference between simply serving and answering a call. Because I think we, 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 I don't think, I don't think churches have a lot of lazy people. I would never say that. I think churches have a lot of involved people. They're helping, they're serving in one way or another. But I believe he's still calling people to preach the word. And I think there are people that need to not simply serve, but obey a call. That's so good. The difference between uh, sacrifice and obedience and the yes or no to the call of God. Yeah. Which, like like you said, has strings attached. He say yes to the call yes. of God, and He's going to demand more from you, and and He's going to take you places. You're going to have incredible experiences that you never would have had um, if you absolutely. Said no. But there are going to be challenges that you're going to face that you would have never faced if you said no. yes. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Uh, I love that. So this is kind of following along with what you were just talking about. You're a young man who grew up in Townsville. I believe your wife is from the Melbourne area. Is that right? Yes, she is. And you're pastoring in Perth. So <laughs> for, the, for those of you who don't know Australia, Townsville's at the top, or close to the top. Melbourne's towards the bottom. And, uh, and, Perth is all the way on the west coast. The other two are on the east coast or towards the east coast. There has to be a good story there. How did you guys end up in Perth? Yeah, um, yeah, the probably three, almost three uttermost points of the continent. <laughs> um, my wife came into the church as a child as well. What's kind of cool about that story is that my wife's mother came into the apostolic church through her brother my wife's uncle my wife's uncle was invited to the church by sister jacobson way back in the 1970s no way. wow in in canberra yeah my, my wife's uncle oh, had a bakery wow. in, in canberra he was an italian pastry chef and he had a bakery and this lady used to come into the bakery all the time and invite him to go to church and eventually he went to church and uh his wife went with him because she was a bit concerned about this strange lady inviting her husband to church. <laughs> and uh, my wife's aunt and uncle got saved. And they witnessed to my the lady who had become my mother-in-law. And that was how my, my mother-in-law and my wife and her brother and sister came into the church. Um, that's so that's, so cool. that's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting connection. Um, my wife and I actually received the Holy Ghost the same year under the, the ministry of the the same, it was a preacher, an older lady by the name of Sister Helen Cole, mm. who was traveling around Australia. And um, she, the services that she was ministering in, we received the Holy Ghost, me and Townsville, my wife in Melbourne. So yeah, that's, that's that sort of little bit of history. But I met my wife at National Youth Camp, which is why a lot of young people go to youth camp. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> It wasn't why I was there. And I think that was probably why it happened because I'd sort of decided, you know, this camp was going to be all about all about God. And um, the camp was in Coleroy, Northern Beaches of Sydney, Easter of 1992. My best friend and I traveled to the camp together and uh, 
I met my wife, uh, who uh, I had never met before that, met her on the first afternoon. We hit it off. We spent a lot of time together over the weekend in like a little group. Um, her best friend and my best friend were developing a, a interest as well. And, and they were they're now married today as well. Yeah, and we started to, it's, it's long enough ago that we started to write. Uh, I don't know if anybody actually does that anymore, <laughs> at least not on paper. Uh, we started to write. Um, I started praying an awful lot about that situation because I knew that I had a call in my life and I knew that the decision about your life partner was, was massive in relationship to your calling. And I spoke to my pastor, uh, I spoke to my peers who were also ministry in development. Um, we prayed together. I don't think I've ever prayed about anything as much as I prayed consistently about that decision. And so um, a conference at the end of that year was in Bankstown in Sydney. That's where I was licensed for the first time. Graduated from Bible school, went to Melbourne after the conference to meet my wife's family and got engaged January of 93. Um, we were married January of 94. Um, my wife moved to Townsville. We were in Brother Jacobson's church together in Townsville, just serving in the church there together. Just, you know, that was kind of where we thought we would be, you know, just a young couple working jobs and helping the pastor out. Mm. After about 12 months or so of marriage, I really felt the Lord starting to deal with me about going to Cairns to work with Brother Glass in Cairns. In fear and trepidation, I raised the subject with Brother Jacobson, and he confirmed that it was the will of the Lord and that he'd already been considering sending us to Cairns. And so we had that confirmation. And so after we'd been married about 18 months, we moved to Cairns to help Brother and Sister Glass. That's, um, um, that's such typical Brother Jacobson style right there. It's like a young couple just licensed the minister and yet, see ya a year later. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, and, and, you know, I think um, without getting off track, I think I think we have to be willing to send young people out. I, I think that we're a little bit hesitant in uh, them having all of the boxes ticked before they send them out. I think that young people can do more than we think they can. I think the key to that succeeding or failing is as long as if we send them out, they have a very strong connection to their elders on a regular basis. I think they can do great things. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. So we went to Cairns working with brother and sister glass. Uh, it was a small, smaller church um, than Townsville. Uh, we we're in a little hired hall. We didn't have our own building at that point in time. Brother glass was the only preacher. And so he was doing all of the preaching. So three services a week. Mm. I'd come from Townsville where Brother Jacobson had me preaching maybe once every six weeks, maybe thereabouts. I moved to Cairns and uh, I drove up to Cairns on a Sunday afternoon. I had to preach that night when I arrived. <laughs> um, and then for the next 18 months, I was preaching every Sunday night and leading worship every Wednesday night, and every Sunday morning. So it was a great learning curve. Um, really blessed to work there with brother and sister Glass, but it was a stepping stone because after after about another uh, maybe fifteen months, the church in Perth was in need of a new pastor. The pastor here was was retiring and relocating somewhere else, and and our executive board asked brother and sister Glass if they would consider coming to take the church here, 
and they asked him to ask us if we would consider coming with him to help him here. He came home from general conference and had that conversation with us, which uh, really blew our brains. Mm. Um, Perth, as you mentioned, the size of Australia, Perth was almost the other side of the world from North Queensland. And I'd never been to Perth in my life. My wife had been there once as a child on a family holiday. And, uh, but we knew the Lord was in it. And so we said, yeah. And so April, April of 1997, we, we drove, we drove from Cairns down to Melbourne and then Melbourne across to Perth, which is around about seven and a half thousand kilometer trip. Yeah. How many, how long did that take you a week? <laughs> no, no. Well, we, we did it in stages. We, we spent a couple of days with my parents in Townsville. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our son. So we, we visited my parents. We did, uh, we stopped in New South Wales and visited my grandmother. We then went to Melbourne, spent a few days with my wife's parents. So it wasn't just constant hard driving. So we, we probably took, I think, around about a week and a half, two weeks to do the trip. Uh, but it's a long drive, whichever way you do it. And um, Which way did you go across the southern part of Australia? Did you go on the uh, the famous highway out in the middle of nowhere or did you go along the coast? The Nullarbor, yeah. Well, the, the Nullarbor is along the south coast. Oh, okay, um, yeah. There's actually a point. You could tell I on, fly on the Nullarbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's actually a point on the Nullarbor Highway where you're only uh, a few hundred meters from the cliffs on the Great mm. Australian Bight, and you can stop and see the cliffs, which we did, which was quite amazing. My wife was worried that I was going to fall off the cliff with the car keys, and she was going to be stuck there. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we, we went from Melbourne to Adelaide, and then from Adelaide we took uh, three days to drive to Perth. Amazing. Um, it was very surreal driving into a city that we'd never lived in, that I didn't know where anything was, and knowing that we were arriving to stay. It wasn't a holiday. We were moving into to that city. And at that time, the, the church building was being sold, and so through a some good and some not so good experiences the church was quite small and we were meeting in a ladies lounge room you know when you go to a church for the first time you can sort of sit down the back and just quietly slip in well when there's only about 12 or 15 people in a lounge room there's nowhere to hide you know you kind of mm. you walk in it's like hi we're here so that was a little strange but yeah we we settled into perth uh my wife already had a job she had a transfer with the bank she was working with. I I found work within about three days in an, uh, an Italian patisserie and we got settled into Perth life. We got a new church building. We moved into that building in, I think it was about September, August, September of 1997. Church started to grow, which was fantastic. Brother Glass became the national overseas missions director the that was, office that brother harvey holds today that was my next question i didn't know if he was overseas missions director when the board asked him to go to perth or not so he he became it while he was there i think if not in the first year we were in perth very shortly after that okay yeah and so um that required him to travel obviously and that meant that i was looking after the church which we, we'd come to perth for the specific purpose of helping Brother Glass in whatever way that we could. Around about 98, I think it was, the National Youth Department created a Western Australian 
region. They didn't have one when we arrived, so that 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 began, and uh, I was asked to uh, be involved in that as the representative for WA, and we had our first regional youth camp, and and then that began to grow as well. That's incredible. And I'm very that, happy. And this is like this isn't like ancient history. I mean, we're only talking twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. it's uh, it's been. It's it's been uh, it was twenty four years we arrived in April just past yeah mm. and you there's um, three churches or four churches in Perth area now including um, your daughter church there's our church we have a daughter work brother Pastor Paulus has a church um, there's also a Burmese congregation here as yeah, well yeah. Burmese UPCA congregation so. Wow. Yeah, Pastor Paulus had a, has a daughter work. It's not operating at the moment, but I think it will be again before long. So when we came, there was the two churches. There's the one that we were attending, and Brother Paulus has had a small group on the south side of the city as well. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to highlight that because you went from not even being a region in the youth department <laughs> and no region or youth camp to where you guys are at today, which is yes. really cool. Yeah. And that, that grew, and I looked after that for a few years. And then I think about 2002, uh, I was asked to lead the National Youth Department. So yeah. that happened about 2002. Yeah, you were my, my wife's youth president. <laughs> the distinct yeah. privilege of being known as her youth president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that makes her old or me old, or, but uh, she, she's still young. I'm I'm the one that's getting older. But um, yeah. they, they were they were wonderful years. Um, really, uh, was blessed in those times in the youth department. Had a lot of great experiences. Worked with some wonderful young people, um, and really enjoyed that that season of life. Yeah, mm. I remember the first time that that I met you. I think it was via phone. And Steph had called you, and I think it was like one or two o'clock in the morning. And you're like, I really, okay. I really enjoy these phone calls waking me up. In the of the night. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I obviously wasn't very awake. I don't remember talking to you on the phone. Um, oh, I, I think I, was, I may not have uh, been on the phone. I may have just been, been in the area when it was taking place. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, Steph was a Bible school in the state. She. She did ring occasionally and and perhaps not remember there was a time difference but yeah. that's okay we were we were happy for i was glad you know i was glad she thought to call us that that, that meant something to us yeah we, we we're still not aware of the time difference being over here we just call you whenever <laughs> that's a that's a common uh occurrence um uh. from the east coast yeah yeah, so you're talking uh, about how closely tied you were to yeah. Brother and Sister Glass. I wanted to give you also an opportunity to talk about him as well. For those who may not know much about Brother Glass, when I first moved to Australia, it was after he had already had his illness. So I was never able to meet Brother Glass as well like as you knew him and as you served under him. What was it like serving under a great man of God like Brother E.J. Glass. Yeah, I, I look at my my life and my ministry, and the Lord knows what we need. He knows who we need. And between Brother Jacobson and Brother Glass, I, I've often described them as kind of like the two pillars of the temple for me. Um, 
uh, still have great elders today in my life, but those two who are now both gone on to be with the Lord uh, were massive in in who I am and and how I grew. Some people may not realize, but, but Brother Glass was actually trained for ministry in the Townsville Church under Brother Jacobson as well. Brother Glass moved to Townsville from Ipswich in southeast Queensland as quite a young saint. He would often use the expression that he and I went to school together. We, even though he he was around about twenty years older than me, um, we we sat through ministry training together with Brother Glass with Brother Jacobson. Sorry, and so we had the way we thought, the way we'd been shaped, was very similar. Not only that, growing up in the church with my mum being in the church and my dad not being in the church, Brother Glass was almost a father figure in the church. He took a lot of time for me as a young man, even as a teenager when, um, you know, when you're a teenager and your horns start growing through. My my cousin, Brother Cameron Butcher, and I used to spend quite a lot of time with Brother Glass. And he was very, he and Sister Glass were very good to us. When we got old enough to drive, we, we would just be out and about, you know, in the exciting city of Townsville, driving around just to, to do something. And um, it wasn't unusual for us on a Friday or a Saturday night to just slowly drive past the Glasses house. And uh, they lived on a corner, so you could sort of drive around the house from two sides. And and if the light was on and we could see him sitting in the lounge, usually at that time of night reading his Bible, we would go and knock on the door. And uh, he'd welcome us in and Sister Glass would insist on making us a toasted sandwich or something. And um, we would spend time with him. So so I was, even in those early days, before we were more active in ministry, very, very close to Brother and Sister Glass. And when he left Townsville, um, he left before I did. He, he originally went to Tamworth, New South Wales, to try to start a church there before he went to Cairns to pastor. And when he left Townsville, I, I had a feeling that I would work with him somehow in some capacity. Didn't know how or when, but it, it certainly eventuated. And he he was, yeah, a great man. We were very, very close. And uh, being his assistant and working alongside him here was, I often say to people, I'd be happy to still be doing that today. Um, you know, I would have been happy to be his assistant for the rest of my life. But I, I often say that, you know, in my ministry, in my development, Brother Jacobson taught me to love truth, but Brother Glass taught me to love people. And they both did both of those things. It wasn't absolute, yeah. but yeah, but in my, my, my time being developed by Brother Jacobson, I was much younger. And so a lot of it was almost in the classroom, a lot of ministry training, a lot of lessons, whereas with Brother Glass, it was hands-on mm. together. Yeah, different stages of my ministry Brother Glass was was a lover of people and uh, had a great impact on the mission field and other people's lives. And um, it was when he became sick uh, around about 2005, I think it may have started. And as that progressed and he degenerated, uh, he was forced to retire from mm-hmm. pastoring because the illness, the illness that he had, one of the effects was his ability to speak uh, to clearly express himself and that just became worse and worse and so preaching became very frustrating for him very difficult and eventually he he knew that he was going to have to resign and 
so that that was how getting back to your earlier question that was how my wife ended up pastoring here mm. was you know, late 2006 we were installed as pastors here because of his retirement being forced on him by illness a great man of god wonderful man of god and uh much like brother jacobson uh miss him very very much was yeah. brother glass instrumental in the work in Iranjara? was he the overseas missions director then do you remember i think when that started brother jacobson was still the director okay uh when 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 the bullets went there the first time uh, I think I, I could be wrong, but I think they went around about 94, 95 oh, okay. to Erin Jaya. Oh. And Brother Glass became Overseas Missions Director, I think, 97, 98, somewhere in that time frame. So he was certainly involved, but he, he didn't begin that process. But he was probably the director for uh, almost all of Sister Bolette's time in, in, in Indonesia. Yeah, I'm hoping to get Sister Bolette on here as well and okay story, if she'll let me <laughs> yes that, that may be the challenge she's she's my aunt and uh but but i you know absolute hero in the kingdom of god yeah wonderful lady she keeps talking about a book coming out and uh or that she's writing a book so i figured if i can force her to do a podcast we'll at least have something before the book comes out yes that would be good yeah no that would be great yeah so you took over the church in Perth from Brother Glass when he was forced to retire. Um, mm -hmm. How's the church going there now? We we briefly touched on it. Uh, you have a daughter church going and the church is growing. But uh, I guess just give the listeners a bit of an idea of, of what the church is like right now since you talked about its inception or when you guys first came across to Perth all those years ago. Right. Well, when we came in 97, as I mentioned um, there'd been some been some issues and so the church there wasn't there was a I guess to use the biblical term there was a remnant um, and so when we moved into the building that we're in you know there was only a very small group of people and we're in this larger room it felt quite um, open like a giant shed and Brother Glass actually put a temporary wall across the back to try to give it a little bit more intimacy to make it a little bit smaller but he was one of the things about Brother Glass was he was very consistent, very faithful. And so as he restored and rebuilt trust, the church began to grow. The Lord's been good to us through the years. The church has grown. We're, we're now at a point where, as you said, we have a daughter work. We've had a daughter work for the last few years. We have a great team of people that look after that daughter work. Uh, it's not just an outreach in that part of town. It's also a fantastic training ground um, for, for ministry as well. We've cast a vision just this year for for a building program um, because we're growing out of the building that we're in with a, a desire not just for a bigger church per se, but also with a burden for it to effectively become a place where people can be trained and established and uh, invested in the kingdom, whether it's locally or beyond. Church is growing well, have you know, a really good team of leaders and very faithful people and uh really honored and, and humbled to pastor the church here on the north side of Perth. I was going to mention that, and, and you briefly touched on it, that you've sort of carried along along with what Brother Jacobson did in, in the way that you train leaders and then release them to work in different areas of the country, different areas of the city. And so 
along with that, you've been pastoring there for a number of years. You've been a minister for, well, I don't want to give the years, but it's been a while. And uh, yeah, and you've been serving on the national board for quite a while now. What continues to drive you when it comes to ministry? What is your passion? I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like uh, <laughs> the listeners to to hear. What, what's your passion? That's a great question. Um, I think there's common areas that motivate everybody in ministry and motivate pastors especially. Obviously, souls being saved, people becoming established, churches growing in all the different ways that we measure growth, whether it's numerical, maturity, all of those things. I think they should be consistent for everybody. But I, I think that at a secondary level, I think that ministers, depending on their gifts and their callings, there are some things that that uh, sort of are unique to what God wants us to do. And so um, with those other things, obviously, as a platform, you know, make, making a difference in someone's eternity is more valuable than anything in the world, you know, um, and that, you know, to be able to see fruit of that in people's lives, that's a, an incredible motive. But as you mentioned, for me, I, I feel a, a certain sense of responsibility to certainly not replace brother Jackson, that would be arrogant, but to, to try to continue that of that vision of raising up ministers and leaders for the kingdom. Uh, I, I'm passionate about that. I, I don't think that ministers are any more important than anybody else in the church, but I think, I think it's biblical to suggest that those ministry offices is how the church grows and becomes established. And right. so we need them. Um, and so I guess to use your word, what, well, you know, I'm driven by seeing the church grow and become stronger, but my particular focus in that picture is of people answering the call and contributing to that. Right. Yeah. That's what I love to see. And when you, when you get to see somebody respond to a call and commit to a call and, and, you know, start to do those things, that's, yeah, that's awesome. And help them develop that calling yeah 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 i think we have to recognize that you know the church is like this weird two thousand year long relay race that, <laughs> that right. none of us begin it and none of us end it we right. we're in it for a season and, and in that season we run and at, at a, each of us at our own individual point passes a baton and uh, that's i guess that's kind of my mindset is that well you know i'm glad it's not natural running because i'm not like you i don't run but I think while we while we run, we always need to be thinking about you know who am I passing the baton to. Yeah. Yes, yeah, very good. You're also I just briefly mentioned it that you're one of uh, a board member in the UPCA on the national board. You're one of our presbyters. Obviously, what that means is that you you visit and help and look after a number of churches within Australia as far as like an oversight and to help them in different areas where they need that. What excites you about the church in Australia in 2021? What is something that that you see as exciting right now? Well, like you, you mentioned, you didn't want to give numbers, but I've been in the apostolic church now for 42 years. So I have, I have a little bit, more history than maybe some of your younger listeners might have. And I, 
I feel as though our national church is at a very exciting point in its history. When I look back over the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen quite a lot of our churches go through pastoral transition uh, from elders to younger people. And what's exciting about that is that almost all of that transition has been in a, uh, a positive, healthy, kingdom-minded approach. Right. And uh, I've been around long enough to know that that's not always the case. Mm. Um, sometimes sometimes transition and, and the reasons that churches change pastors is not always healthy. But I think, to my mind, for the most part, there's been a lot of healthy transition. There's been a lot of uh, good transition. And um, that excites me because what it means is that our elders have laid a great stable foundation which we can launch continue to launch from if we were if if people were taking over churches and stepping into pastorates and ministries out of chaos mm. and and church splits and brokenness and all sorts of the negative side that does happen in the world then this would be a very different picture but because there's a lot of stability in those transitions that that getting back to that idea of a good foundation we we're at a place where we can really build it, mm. uh, obviously by the help of the Lord, not in our own abilities. But that that platform is an incredible opportunity for younger leaders to to launch from. They're not worrying about their footing or or what they're built on. That that's established, and we from there, and we you know we've got to give honor to our elders for that. They've right. they've passed on a very stable, strong foundation that I see young people, and when I say young people, you know. 20s 30s 40s you know people that are now because of that launch pad you know the church is in a place where it can really accelerate i see those younger ones taking that ownership utilizing modern techniques modern technology modern methods that already make me feel like a dinosaur and but i think that's exciting because we're not we're not looking at a oh we've got to try to hold this together it's strong and it's it's launching from that which i think is really exciting yeah uh, I agree. It's great to see so many churches just, you mentioned it before, that it's like a relay race and having those really mm. good, solid passings of the baton or baton, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as the Americans would say, but yes. having that, having that smooth transition, you know, you see those relay races and you see when a smooth transition takes place, they're able to just build right off the the back of what someone has done before them whereas when you have the clunky transitions uh, they lose that momentum and then they've got to try and build it back up and it's very encouraging yeah i agree to see that to see so many churches having that smooth transition and uh, i think momentum is a good word there i think momentum is yeah i think that's one of the things that that momentum is exciting yeah for sure yeah. and ever since i've been part of the church in australia it seems like it it is building that momentum has been building yeah all right well i wanted to i do this with all of my guests in conclusion give you an opportunity to share a word with the listeners something that you feel that god has laid on your heart for this uh, session in particular i want to give you the opportunity to close out this conversation and and share a word with them from the lord sure thank you i want to say it's been a privilege and an honor to chat to you today. I think this podcast you're doing is is a, a great vehicle. And I think as it grows, it'll have more and more influence. But um, 
uh, we were at Ministers and Leaders Retreat just recently and um, some great messages, some great teaching. And I was particularly challenged during that by a couple of things that Brother Jonathan Downs taught about being a disciple-making church. He made some statements that really resonated with me and to the point that I'm currently teaching a series around that subject in our local church. And uh, the text that we're using as our focal point in that series is in Luke 14, where it speaks to us of uh, counting the cost of being willing to carry your cross, being willing to forsake all. And it's a passage of maybe about five or six verses long, but it's a very weighty, heavy passage. And I know that at a personal level, it confronts me. And so to anybody that's listening, what I'd just like to say simply is if I could challenge you, whatever your calling is, whatever that is that God is leading you to, whatever the cost is, it's worth that cost. It's worth that price. You know, don't don't be afraid to obey the call. Please don't bury your talent in the ground. Um, there is a cost. No one's going to tell you otherwise, but I can look back and, and see where that willingness to answer that call has taken me. And there is no comparison. There is no comparison to a life that is spent doing the will of God to any other life. And we're living in a time where the only thing that's certain in the world is that it's uncertain. <laughs> it's, it's, there's just uncertainty all around us. And we have a message of hope. We, we have an anchor for people's souls. And uh, all of us right now are positioned for this hour. And that tells me that as long as the church is still in the earth, as long as he is still pouring out his spirit and still calling people, we need to answer that call. And I would challenge you, whatever the price is, don't don't compromise it. Pay the price. Be who God wants you to be because your life will just be an empty shell in comparison to the will of God. And uh, get your hands dirty, you know. Um, bother your pastor until he gives you something to do, you know, or at least something to work on. He might say you're not ready to do it, but here's some things to work on. Be hungry enough to take that instruction. Be hungry enough to say, I'll do anything I can. Be hungry enough to just want to make any difference that you can. It may seem like a price, but in the end, to serve God and to answer the call is the greatest deal there is in the world. Uh, what you pay is never worth comparing to what you get out of it. And the experiences you'll have serving God, the friendships and the relationships you'll make serving God, um, the places it may take you, whether it's an experience or whether it's an actual physical location, it's worth paying the price. So don't bury your talent pay the price, answer the call, and see what God can do in your life. I don't know about you, but that conversation added a lot of value to my life. And I pray you were able to glean something from it that you can apply to your life moving forward. If this blessed you, please share it with a friend and encourage them to follow the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and a number of other platforms. Just search The Hacker Podcast and you should find us. We are releasing content every week and the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe or follow the podcast so it goes directly into your podcast feed. If you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you again for your time today and we look forward to seeing you next time on The Hacker Podcast. Oh, 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 o